New York City yesterday and uh, saw the need that's here. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I almost feel a little uh, ashamed to tell you about the need there. But can I tell you that we have a need across America uh, for good Bible preaching churches, but not just in America, but all of this Northeast corridor that was once uh, a staple of, of Bible preaching has now turned so cold. That statistic, 75% of the Boston area claim Roman Catholicism. What a number that are claiming on their works, that are claiming on the priest, that are claiming on the Eucharist, but not claiming simply on what we heard so clearly and plainly this morning on the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we'd ask for your prayers uh, for the Boston area. Now, I'm going to say this tonight before I get started. Are there any New York Yankee fans here tonight? Anyone? All right. There's one, two. I see those hands. I see that hand. All right. There will be an invitation at the end. We will ask you to come forward during that time and ask you to confess. Well, you're not laughing. Yikes. All right. Uh, to make you feel better, I'm not a Red Sox fan. If that makes you feel better, I am a Tampa Bay Rays fan who happen to be doing quite well right now and over the last few years. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what, uh, that's not what we're worried about. People, you know, the question we get the most is, Honestly, wherever we go, is what teams are you going to follow? And uh, really, my answer is anything but Boston. Uh, I don't want my church members to know that, uh, but I think that's the way we feel, and I'm sure that's the way you feel here tonight as well. And uh, so that, that's for sure. But we do ask for your prayers, and we do ask that you would uh, uh, pray for us. What a needy area. And sometimes people ask me, uh, Brother Adam, why Boston? Why Boston? Well, a, a little bit of my testimony may, may help you with that. Um, I grew up in a Lutheran home. My uh, family uh, went to a Lutheran church. They still do. Uh, they sprinkled me as a baby. I don't call it baptism because I wasn't baptized until much later. But I was sprinkled as a baby. And for years, I trusted in my works to save me. I trusted in uh, the baptism. I trusted in the Lord's table that I took every other week where I took the, the bread and the real wine uh, as a 7th and 8th grader, believing that I was getting grace through that. And some of you may have a testimony where you understand uh, where, I, where I came from. And, uh, and I would have just gone on like that forever. But my parents, when I was in sixth grade, saw fit to put me into Westgate Christian School. Not because they wanted me to get a Christian education necessarily, but they didn't want me to be in the public school. Uh, they didn't want me to get beat up. Can you imagine that? A face like this, can you imagine anybody trying to beat me up? Well, or maybe it looks like I've been beat up, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but no, they want to put me in the... In the private school just because of the climate of the public school in Hillsborough County where I lived at the time. Little did they know that day after day, week after week, year after year, I would hear the gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And from sixth grade to seventh grade to eighth grade to ninth grade to 10th grade, my teachers would ask me, are you saved? And I'd say, yes. But what they meant by, are you saved? And what I meant by, was I saved, were two different things. I meant that I was saved by my works. And they meant, are you saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? When I was in 10th grade, my youth director challenged me, the youth director at Westgate. Uh, and he said, I want you to take your catechism. And I want you to take your Bible. And I want you to compare the two of them to each other. Well, I'd never done anything like that before because the catechism included Bible verses. So there's no need to look up the Bible because the Bible was right in there. I thought, surely he's mistaken by, by what he's talking about. 
And as a 10th grade boy, I sat on my bed for several nights, had my Bible right here, good old King James Bible. In fact, this very Bible I hold in my hands now and a catechism. And I went back and forth. And to my amazement, what the catechism said and what the Bible said were not the same. In fact, they were different. And I came to the point as a very young man where I realized I either have to trust in Martin Luther or I have to trust in Jesus Christ. And it was on December 2nd, 1998, I walked back into that same youth director's office and I said, tell me how I can be saved. And it was on that day I was gloriously saved. And uh, a few years later, uh, we took a senior trip to the Northeast Quarter. We started in Washington, D.C. We came here to New York City, in fact, for a day, saw the Statue of Liberty, did all the touristy stuff. Tried to buy a fake Rolex. I couldn't find one, but uh, I must have picked the wrong day, I guess. Uh, or was walking down the wrong places. But I, I did all those things and, uh, and uh, went to Boston. Now, my pastor at the time had planted a church in Boston in the late 70s. And as I would hear him preach through the years, I heard him talk about the great church planting movement that you saw in the 1970s and 80s by the BBF and by other Baptist groups. And I was expecting when I got up there to see that same fervor in the Baptist churches. And when we got to his old church, did you know... That there was hardly anybody left there. There was about 20 to 30 people that were attending church. There were no tracks in the foyer. We take that for granted, don't we? I saw, what a blessing. We came in and we saw tracks. And we said, we need to grab some of those when we go out tomorrow so we can have some in our pockets. They didn't even have tracks. And I thought, maybe it's just this church. But as we went from church to church as we stayed in the New England area, the story was still the same. Churches cold, compromised, or even closed. We tried to go to one. It wasn't even there anymore. And I found out that New England needed churches. And God burdened a dumb 17-year-old boy's heart and said, boy, wouldn't you like to go to Boston someday? God turned that burden into a call while I was in Bible college. And, and we believe he's called myself and my wife and our whole family to the Boston area to plant churches. And that's why we're going. You know, 75% believe in that same religion of works that I believed in for so long. And I want to be able to tell them there is hope, there is liberty in the message of the gospel. You say, Brother Vera, why'd you name a church and it hasn't even opened yet? Because we're passionate about Liberty Baptist Church. The fact that Liberty, uh, really uh, speaking for our country, uh, was started in the Boston area. Many of our great uh, uh, historic events started in the Boston area. But not just that, we want to tell people that there is liberty that comes through the gospel message, that you don't need to believe uh, in your works of righteousness but we can believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, as, as we sing. Would you turn your Bibles tonight to um, the book of Mark, chapter number 1. The book of Mark, chapter number 1. I'm a, we are proud graduates of Heartland Baptist Bible College. It's always good to be in the presence of other graduates from Heartland, those who are attending Heartland, or those who are on the road to going to Heartland. Uh, and I think we have all of those here tonight. And uh, we are glad for that. And uh, maybe you've never been, and you, you hear your pastor talk about Heartland, can you, and you say, could it be that good? Could it, could it be that great? And the answer is yes. And to that I'd say, amen. Uh, yes, it is. That's the only sign I know, but amen. Heartland. Uh, and uh, we are thankful for it and the training that we've received. And can I tell you that we would not be the same people today at Heartland Baptist Bible College. I know, I know I wouldn't be the same because I wouldn't have met my wife. Uh, and I'm thankful for that, if nothing else, for sure. But man, what great training and what teaching. And we hope that you would consider it 
for yourself and your future as well. Mark chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read just a few verses. Verse number 32, I want to be mindful of the time this evening, but I just want to, through the Word of God, maybe further show you our passion that we have for church planting and show you uh, the Savior's uh, same passion for reaching souls for Christ. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, number 32. And at even when the sun set, they brought unto him, speaking of Jesus, all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Uh, And all the city, and that's talking about the city of Capernaum here, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because uh, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. As we pick up the story here in Mark chapter 1, we find that Jesus is at a, the very beginning of his ministry. And it's a time that Jesus has great popularity. And he is in the city of Capernaum, and the people there love him. They've seen his miracles. They've seen his works. As we saw at the beginning of the text, he healed divers' diseases. He uh, cast out devils. And the people were amazed. And uh, we don't see the hatred for Jesus that we see later on in his ministry as he continues on in his three-year ministry. But there at the beginning, he was very popular. He was very, it was a very uh, uh, exciting man to watch and the people from the town would go and see Jesus as he preached. And uh, you can imagine uh, the the disciples, there were only five of them at the time that were here with Jesus in Capernaum. Others would be added later. But these disciples were so excited and so glad and so proud as they followed uh, Jesus and they saw this ministry grow. I imagine they were very excited. Capernaum was a great place to have a ministry. Uh, You may or may not realize a seaside town, and uh, it was along a major trading route where people could go to and from Egypt, from Egypt uh, to Asia, from Egypt to Europe, and it was a major trunk, this this road called the Via Maris, and literally the, the message of Jesus could travel around the world from Capernaum because there would be people that would come from far and wide into the town and travel Kind of like New York City, a very metropolitan area where people would come and go. And, uh, and, and it was an exciting place to have ministry. And you would imagine these disciples thought that they would just stay there forever. That they would stay in the city of Capernaum forever. There would be no need to leave. The people were excited. The people were glad. Uh, the message could travel great distances without them having to move. Why would they need to leave the city of Capernaum? And Jesus, they found one morning uh, by himself in a solitary place as he was praying very early, the Bible says. And they went to go find him for a very specific reason. What was that reason? All men sought him. Can you imagine? We we often think about later on in Jesus' ministry when all men sought his death. But very early on, the disciples came and said, Jesus, all men seek thee. How exciting. You can imagine the disciples were hoping Jesus would say, well, all right then, fellas, let's go. Let's go preach. Let's go heal. Let's go uh, uh, cast out the demons. Let's go do something positive uh, uh, for the work today. Let's go and do it. But that's not what the disciples heard. Can you imagine their surprise when they said, all men seek thee? And he said, let us go to the next town. Because therefore... Was I sent forth? Therefore came I forth. 
And I imagine the disciples, if I could take a little license here, the disciples went, what? Jesus, did you, did you hear what we just said? All men seek for thee. Let's go out and meet them. But Jesus realized that it wasn't just about Capernaum. He realized it wasn't just about that town. But there were people in the surrounding towns. There were people in the surrounding provinces that also needed to hear the gospel message as much as those people in Capernaum. I see three things very quickly tonight. Very quickly tonight. Three things that, uh, that I see from this text. Why Jesus went to the next town. First of all, I see this. I see that he heard his father's will. He heard his father's will. Look again with me at verse number 35. It says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. It was as Jesus was praying and it was as Jesus was seeking his father's will that the disciples came and he said, Let's go to the next town. Is that any coincidence? I would submit to you tonight that it's not. As he was seeking his father's will... He also got the Father's direction. And he knew what the Father's will was by simply listening, stopping, and seeking his Father. Can I tell you, the, the video was right. We would have stayed at Westgate forever. We loved it at Westgate. Uh... I have to get in the habit of saying our old youth group because I'm used to saying our youth group. But our old youth group was phenomenal. We enjoy it. We just got word while we were on the road this week of two young men uh, in our youth department that got to lead folks to Christ this last week. And boy, how exciting. Well, that made my heart just burst with joy because we knew uh, that they were doing something for the Lord. Why would I ever want to leave? I had no desire to go. Our home was there. Uh, our family was there. Well, my family was there. Our church family. And isn't it something that sometimes, many times, that your church family is, is closer than blood family? Isn't that something? Isn't that what the blood of Christ can do? It can draw us all together. It, you know, we were in Alabama last week. Uh, we're in New York City this week. Can I tell you that the two, that those churches, the two churches in Alabama and this church couldn't be more different? They couldn't be. Say, is that a bad thing? No, they're just different, different regions of the country, different things. But the blood of Christ brings us together and gives us fellowship. We felt just as home this morning as we did there uh, last week in those churches as we felt in our home church because Christ binds us together. But uh, as we see, we would have stayed there forever. Why would we want to leave? It's because of that revival meeting. Oh, revival. (laughs) Why did we have to go? Oh, I guess because we were trying to be obedient to the Lord. But I'll tell you, that that revival meeting was supposed to be for everybody else at Westgate. It wasn't supposed to be for me. I can tell you that. You ever been like that before? And the preacher's preaching and the preaching's hot and it gets going and you're thinking, that's right, you tell them, preacher. You let them know and not even thinking about yourself. That's what I was like that night. But as the preaching started to go, I could hear the tapping of my heart. And the Lord said, I'm talking to you. Remember when you told me? When you were in college, remember when you told me you'd go to Boston? It's time. Can I tell you, I didn't listen to the rest of that message. You say, Brother Vero, that's not very spiritual. I know it's not, but I wasn't. The Lord and I were having an argument. The Lord and I were talking. You ever done that before? And we weren't talking. I mean, people, they would probably throw me out if I was just sitting there in the pew talking. But in my mind, we were having a discussion. Lord, certainly not now. And I was giving him the reasons why we needed to stay. But he said, no, I want you to go to the next town. Because therefore, are you to go forth? And I can tell you that even though it was hard, even though it was difficult, we went forward. I went forward that night at the, at, at the invitation and said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And can I tell you that 
That decision was, oh, about eight, nine months ago, and I don't regret it one bit. Because there's nothing like being in the Father's will. And you say, Brother Raffaro, God's will is great because you're a preacher and you need to find God's will. And, and, and somewhere along the line, we've gotten the idea in churches that God's will uh, is for teenagers when they go to camp or teenagers when they go to youth rallies and for big decisions and for pastors and full-time workers. Can I tell you that God's will, the need to seek God's will is necessary for my daily life and for your daily life. Did you hear that? Daily life. Not just when you have a big decision, not just when you are thinking about leaving town, not just when you're thinking about changing jobs, not just when you're thinking about a big financial decision, but every day. Didn't the Lord say in the model prayer, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every day we need to seek out the Father's will. And you say, how do we seek out the Father's will? Look, uh, Brother Rivero, how do I seek the Lord? Jesus gave us the example right here. What did he do? Very early in the morning, he went and... And it was when he was praying and when he was seeking the Father that he heard the Father's will. Can I ask you this? When was the last time you heard the Father's will in your life? When was the last time you were able to hear him speak to you clearly? Uh, You know, that was always a confusing thing to me uh, when I was younger. How do I hear God speak to me? Uh, Is he going to write me a note? Is he going to send a skywriter to put it up in the sky? Is, is he going to have some voice booming down from heaven? Wouldn't that be nice sometimes? It would be a lot easier, wouldn't it, uh, to, to hear those kind of things. But, you know, I was, I was sitting in, in Bible college. Uh, in fact, at Southwest Baptist Church, and, and Sam Davison uh, was preaching. And he said this, and I never forgot it. He said, was it clear to you when God told you to get saved? And I thought, well, yeah, it was. Was it clear to you the day you got saved? I hope it was. If you're saved, I would hope it was pretty clear to you that day. You know, I I wasn't going into my youth director's office thinking, hmm, do I need to get saved or do I have indigestion? I knew what it was. I knew that I needed to get saved. And, and, And Brother Sam said this, just as clearly as the Holy Spirit can tell you to get saved, the Holy Spirit can direct you to do anything else. Well, what a blessing that is. But you know what we have to do? We have to be listening. How do we do that? By spending time with the Father. Have you spent time with the Father today? Have you talked to Him? Have have you got to to know Him better today? Have you uh, put your face in the Scriptures? Jesus did it very early in the morning. That's sometimes the best way. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's late at night. Maybe it's during the day, during a quiet time. Whatever it is, can you hear the Father's will? But why the next town? Not just because He heard the Father's will, but also because He saw the need. He saw the need. Look with me in verse number 37, if you would. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. You know, it's not as though Jesus wanted to leave because all the work was done. Obviously, the work had not been done in Capernaum. But he realized this, his time there was done. It was not that the work necessarily was done. It's that the time for him to be there had been completed. And uh, he realized that there was a need, not just in Capernaum, but in the cities all throughout Galilee. Can I tell you, there's a great need in this northeast section of the country for gospel preaching churches. Hey, Brother Rivero, it's a great thing that your family is going. And I think it's a wonderful thing as well. But can I tell you, we literally could use dozens, dozens of more churches in the Boston area. Couldn't the same be said of New York City? Dozens of Baptist churches that would unashamedly preach the gospel are needed all throughout the city. 
Are, are there places that, that, uh, that need more churches? I would say pretty much you could throw a dart at a map and you could find a place that needs a good Bible preaching church. But the need uh, is great. Uh, the need uh, is, is, uh, is very much, uh, the need is, is very great in the Boston area as it is in all New England. You say, Brother Vero, that's great. So what you're saying is, is uh, we just need to all go plant churches. And the answer to that is no. I think we know that's not the case. But can I tell you, the need isn't just great in the Boston area. The need may be great in your neighborhood. I, I, I was, as I was driving yesterday, well, first of all, as I was driving, I was trying to think, Lord, please save me. Lord, please save me as I'm driving. Because we went, the GPS, by the way, a GPS in New York City doesn't work very well. Uh, and it, it took us right through Midtown. Now, I'm from Tampa, and I thought I'd seen driving before, but I, I got a few lessons yesterday. And I think a few people were trying to teach me lessons as I was driving because they were saying things to me I don't think were very friendly. But as I'm driving, and we're going down Midtown, uh, uh, I, I, I saw uh, the, the great buildings. And as we went uh, through the Triborough Bridge, yes, that's the bridge, the Triborough Bridge, and, and we came here to Queens, and, and I looked at the brownstones and looked at the buildings, and I thought, there are more people in some of those buildings than there are many of the towns we passed this last couple of weeks. What a mission field. Sure, yes, the next town for us is Boston, but the next town for you may be your building. The next town for you may be your job site. The next town for you may be someone in your family. The next town for you may be that person that said no when you can't try to hand them a track in the past. But you have to give it to them again and again until they accept the gospel message. The next town may not even be a town at all. It's just somewhere where you have a sphere of influence and there's a great need. You see, friend, do you see the need? I'll tell you, I, I can't but look out this doors and look to the left and look to the right and see that there's a great need. And I can tell you this as I ride the T in the Boston area, and as I uh, go from, from area to area, as, as we have before, and we'll be there on Tuesday, and, and we'll be there for a month, and I, I can't but help but look out the windows of the, of the, of the uh, I was going to say of the subway, the sub, you couldn't look out and see much out of the windows of the subway, but when it's above ground, and you look out, I'll tell you what I see, I see homes and homes and buildings and buildings of people that haven't even heard that Jesus saves the way the Bible says it. Friend, there's a great need. And you say, Brother Pharaoh, you're doing a good work. Pastor Montour, you're doing a good work. And my answer to that is, well, we pray that we are. But what are you doing with the need? What are you doing with the need? Jesus saw that it wasn't just about Capernaum, but it was reaching out to all the people that needed the gospel because he saw the need. See, I, I, three things again, very quickly. You've listened so well tonight. Why the next town? Because Jesus heard the Father's will. Because he saw the need. And also because he felt compassion. He felt compassion. Drop down with me to verse number 40 in our text. Verse number 40. And there came a leper to him. This is in the next town. There came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, it says, moved with compassion. Put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately, I love that, immediately, the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. But look at what that says, verse number 41, and Jesus moved with compassion. I love the fact that Jesus was a savior with compassion. 
I love the thought that Jesus at times was moved to tears because of his compassion. We don't have to turn there tonight, but if you were to look uh, in Matthew 23 or in Luke 13, it, it's, it, those are the areas where it talks about Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps over the city of Jerusalem as he sees their lost condition. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish I could gather you together. As a, as a, as the, the hen gathers her chicks, I wish I could bring you unto me. And he, he cries. He literally weeps tears for the people of Jerusalem. Why? Because of their lost state. You think of the story of Lazarus's death in John chapter 11, where you find the children's most uh, favorite memory verse, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. So now you could go home and say you learned a memory verse tonight. Uh, but Jesus wept. And sometimes we see that and we almost laugh about it or we go right over it. But think about that. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he missed Lazarus? I'd submit to you that the answer was no, because he knew he was about to raise Lazarus again. He wept because he saw the sadness of Mary. He wept because he saw the sadness of Martha. He wept because he saw the sadness of the people who had lost a dear friend. And it was the compassion of Christ, the compassion of Christ that compelled him to also weep tears. Let me ask you this. Do you feel compassion for the lost? You know, we know academically tonight that there's a need. Every single one of us academically understand that there is a need for more churches to be planted here in America and across the world. We see the statistics. We, we know the numbers. We see the need with our own eyes. But let me ask you this. Does that need move you with compassion? And does that need move your feet to reach those who need the gospel? You know, it's not just enough to know your neighbor's unsaved. It's something more to feel compassion for them and want to give them the gospel. Can I tell you that the times that I give out the gospel the most are the times that I have the most compassion for the lost. When my heart isn't tender like it should be and when my heart's a little calloused and when I haven't been in God's word and when I haven't been seeking him like I should, I walk past the lost without even thinking a second thought. But when I hear the Father's will and when I see the need, the Lord squeezes our heart, and in doing so helps us to feel compassion for those that are lost. I, I have this quote that I love. It says, the gospel of a broken heart demands the ministry of a bleeding heart. We can never heal the needs we do not feel. Tearless hearts can never be heralds of the passion of Christ. We must pity if we would redeem. We must bleed if we would be ministers of the saving blood. My friend, do you feel compassion for the lost tonight? Jesus did. When he was moved with compassion, it made a difference in people's life. It made a difference in this man's life who was healed. I think of all the people that had compassion on me in my Christian life. And I can tell you that I wouldn't be who I was without people having compassion on me. I could name names tonight that you would never know. That you've never even heard of before. And I could go through name after name of, of people that had had compassion on me. People that, that helped me. That spurred me on in my Christian life. And I am not the same person I am today because of those Christians that were moved with compassion upon my life. My question is this. Who do you, have you been moved with compassion about? Who has your heartstrings been touched about? Who have you been thinking about to give the gospel to? Who have you been thinking about to encourage uh, in their Christian walk? Who have you been thinking about? Who's been pressed upon your heart? And if you can say to in your heart tonight, well, nobody, there's a problem. There's a problem with not hearing your Father's will. 
Maybe there's a problem without seeing the need. And maybe there's a problem with not feeling compassion for the lost. I'll give you this story and I'll be done. I remember when I was a, uh, just finished my freshman year at Heartland and I went back to Tampa uh, to serve as an intern in my church. And as we served through the summer, uh, I got to do a lot of door knocking. Of course, that's a, a requirement when you're at college. And I think that uh, you know, sharing your faith is not just a requirement for college. Uh, you know, witnessing is a kind of a requirement of being a Christian. You know, the Great Commission, all that, still in the Bible. And so we need to give the gospel to everybody. And so, but can I tell you that as I was knocking doors in Tampa, my heart started to break and I realized I had never led someone to Christ. And you know what? It started to bother me that as I knocked and knocked and knocked, I got to invite people to church. I got to tell them about the ministries of our church. I got to tell them about the preaching of God's word. I got to tell them about youth activities. I got to tell them about uh, nursing home ministry. And I got to tell them about the choir. And I got to tell them about the orchestra. But I never got to share with someone uh, the gospel to the point where they got saved. And I got to tell you, it bothered me. Oh, it bothered me. And I got to the point where I got so discouraged that I just prayed to the Lord. I said, give me somebody. Just give me somebody that will get saved, that I can share the gospel with, that, that will accept Christ. And I remember one day I was going through a trailer park uh, there in, in Tampa. Uh, my friend and I, and we went door knocking. And I was just praying, uh, can, can we just give someone uh, the gospel and they get saved? And the very first house we went to, I went through the whole plan. I must have took, took him through Genesis to Revelation. I mean, I did everything I could. Uh, I took him through everything, uh, including the concordance, I think. Uh, we went through everything. And uh, he said, you know what? Not today. My heart broke. I thought that was it. That was my shot. And we went down the road and about 10 or 15 minutes later, my friend got to lead someone to the Lord. And I was excited, but I thought, Lord, why not me? Why not me? I still haven't led anyone to Christ. And we went all the way to the end and we just kept door knocking, hoping, stretching it out, hoping that we'd be able to lead someone to the Lord, someone else. And we didn't. Other than that one man, no one got saved. So we walked back to his truck and I could tell you that I was a little bit discouraged. I was a little bit downtrodden about the whole thing. And as we were making our way back to the truck, I heard someone say, hey, hey. Well, we parked our truck in front of the first fellow's house. That's where we started. And it was the same fellow that we had given the gospel to. And he says, hey, remember when when I told you I, I would be ready later? I'm ready now. And I said, okay, uh... Uh, well, can we come inside? And we, and we went inside and I, I took my Bible and I think I was doing this. And I'm lucky I even got through the pages. And he said, can I get you some something to drink? I said, no, no, sit down, sit down. Let's go through this. We don't have time for that. And uh, I went through and we went through it all again. And guess what? He got saved and came down to church on that Sunday and came down the aisle, made a profession of faith. Can I tell you, it was one of the most exciting things I'd ever done in my life to be able to lead someone to Christ. One of those teen boys I was just talking about uh, from our youth department, uh, 17 years old, and got to lead a 43-year-old man to Christ. And he came back from visitation. He stood there waiting for the pastor, Pastor Pert, to come back. And he said, I can't, I can't wait. I have to tell you what happened. He says, the most exciting thing that ever happened to me. He's, made, he's played basketball. He's played sports. And I'll tell you, up to that point, he would have said that sports was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. But he realized, once he got a taste of it, that it was leading someone to Christ... That was the greatest thing. Why the next town? It's for those people that we need to reach. It's for those people that we need to reach. Can I tell you, you say, Brother Rivera, that's good for you, but what about me? The, the answer is, the next town doesn't have to be a town. I'm not asking you to move tonight. I'm not asking you to leave town. I think if I did that, we wouldn't be allowed to come back. I'm not asking you to do that tonight. 
But I'm telling you, your town could be right there in your building. Your town could be in your workplace. That town could be your family. That town could be someone three doors down that bugs the fire out of you, that you just wish would move away and they they never move. (laughs) They need the gospel too. But we'll never reach them unless we hear the Father's will by reading our Bible, by praying, by being in fellowship with Him. By the way, by getting the things out of our life that block fellowship with Him. The sin that does so easily beset us. Boy, I love going through 1 John this morning. We're talking about, uh, about confession of our sins. You know, if we don't confess our sins, the Bible, it says there in 1 John that we are liars before Him. If we want to hear the Father's will, we've got to stop lying to ourselves and get some of the junk out so we can hear Him in the first place. Get out all that noise that distracts us. Jesus heard the Father's will. He saw the need. The need is great in New York City. The need is great in Boston. The need is great in Tampa. The need is great everywhere to give the gospel to those who are dying without Christ. And we also need to feel compassion. It's not enough to academically know that people are unsaved. Do you care? Do you want to give them the gospel? Well, I'll be embarrassed. They might laugh at me. They, they, might, they might think I'm a weirdo. Can I set your soul at ease tonight? They might. <laughs> they might. They might think you're strange. They might think you're a weirdo. They already do in Boston. They're finding out about us. I've already been up there once. I told someone, uh, we're going to plant a church, maybe right here in front of your building. And he goes, great. I thought, you really don't mean that, do you? You don't think it's great at all. Listen, they might think you're strange, but compared to them spending an eternity in a devil's hell, who cares? Who cares about our ego? Who cares about our fear? when you weigh it in the light of eternity. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm going to pray in just a moment, then I'm going to ask Brother Montoro to come up and lead the invitation as he sees fit tonight. Thank you so much for your attentiveness, attentiveness to God's Word. And I pray that His Word is what touches hearts tonight. Lord, I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for bringing my family here to this wonderful church. Lord, it's not an accident that we're here tonight. Lord, you brought us here at a specific time for a specific reason. And I pray that through your word we understand there's a great need in the next town. But the next town isn't always a town. It's just people that are nearby that need the gospel. I pray that you would just tenderize our heart tonight so that we could see the need all around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.